You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. These privileges are all rooted in the fact He, Jesus, chose them. He, Jesus, chose each of them to be disciples. They did not choose Him. But the whole picture painted here is the privilege of bearing fruit. The privilege of bearing fruit and fruit that remains. And this is the disciples' great privilege. It is a great privilege for us to bear fruit. Belonging to the Lord's family means you have been chosen. The Israelites and the disciples were chosen, and part of this calling is the blessing of bearing fruit. Fruit comes from an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. In today's message with Pastor Dave, he asks, how much fruit are you producing? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 15, as he begins his message, A Disciple's Privileged. Turn into your Bible's Gospel of John, chapter 15. We will look at today's scriptures, although there are only two that we are going to look at. We are going to read from 1 to 17 in chapter 15. John 15, glorious chapter, a wonderful, wonderful teaching by our Lord to his disciples. Remember to whom Jesus is speaking. And this is going to come into play a little bit later as we get into our verses for this morning. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Let me read from 1 to 17. Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. 
But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. You probably know this, but as Christians, those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, for what he did on the cross, we have been given many benefits. We have benefits. And one of my favorite lines, and you've heard me say before, is when I'm thinking of this, I go, all this and salvation too? It's amazing to me that the Lord loves us so much that he would give us these benefits. According to each dictionary that I've picked up, a benefit is something that promotes or enhances well-being. A benefit is an advantage. You can have this advantage, and it's a result of an action that you take. For example, if you get a job, and you work so many days, and then they allow you a sick day, that's a benefit. You work for it, and then you can use it as a benefit. However, some benefits cannot be earned, particularly the benefits of knowing God. The benefits that come from knowing God, these are not earned. They are given. They are gifts. Now, I love Psalm 103, verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And these benefits of knowing God are freely given to us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, when Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, he wrote in verse 3 of chapter 1, he said that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. These are benefits of being a Christian, all the spiritual blessings. And I encourage you from time to time to read Ephesians 1 and see the benefits that we have in Christ and the position that we have in Christ. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have been given certain privileges. Have you ever thought about the difference between a benefit and a privilege? It can be quite confusing because sometimes they seem to overlap. We said that a benefit is an advantage resulting from a course of action that you may take, or it may be freely given. On the other hand, a privilege is what you might call a special benefit. It's a special advantage. It is a permission or a right that is granted to an individual or to a group of individuals. So a privilege is something that is special. When we studied John 1, one of the greatest benefits that I see in John 1 is found in verse 12. When we read verse 12, we have the right to become children of God by believing in Jesus Christ. This is a privilege. This is a privilege that has been granted to us who those who believe upon the name of Jesus, those who are not born by blood, not born by the will of man, but born by the will of God. And that's what the apostle said in John 1, verse 12. But not all take advantage of these privileges, these privileges that have been given. 
great John Wesley said this, quote, While the grace of God is a potential benefit for everyone, it appears that many Christians are resting only in that benefit and not moving forward into privilege, which is a special advantage of the grace-filled offer, which is called discipleship. I have, from this podium, many times said that every disciple is a believer, but not all believers are disciples. You can think about that one for a while. We've been talking about abiding in Christ. Jesus has been talking about what a disciple looks like, one who abides in him. Abiding in him has that close, deep, meaningful relationship, that intimate relationship with him. He's been talking about the disciple. And he's been talking this as he's made his way through chapter 15. Lord is speaking to his disciples. He's not speaking to a main crowd. He's speaking only to those 11 that are left. They're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. You know that. We've talked about that. And he has been bestowing upon them privilege after privilege. He spoke of having friendship with the master. You don't have to call me friends. You don't have to, I mean, you don't have to call me master. You don't have to, you're not my servants. You're my friends. A friend knows what the father's doing. So a privilege is being his friend. A privilege is knowing what the father is doing. A privilege is being able to pray and a privilege is being able to bear fruit. So he's giving them these privileges. So he wraps up this section by telling the disciples that these privileges are all rooted in the fact he, Jesus, chose them. He, Jesus, chose each of them to be disciples. They did not choose him. But the whole picture painted here is the privilege of bearing fruit. The privilege of bearing fruit and fruit that remains. And this is the disciples' great privilege. It is a great privilege for us to bear fruit. Look at 16a. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. What is he saying here? Many people take and they run with this. They take and they run with this. And all of a sudden they're talking about salvation. They're they're all of a sudden. That's not what Jesus is referring to here. He's not referring to salvation here. He's talking about the disciples whom he has chosen to serve him. The disciples that he has chosen to do a particular task. And that was to produce fruit. How could I say that? Well, in John 6, we've quoted this scripture a lot. In John 6, you know, when Jesus tells them, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have nothing to do with me. And many, many of them left and went away. And he looks at the disciples and said, are you going to go too? And back in, um, we know those beautiful words of Peter and back in verse 68 of John 6, Peter says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And then he says something very interesting in verse 69. Also, we, talking about the disciples, have come to believe that you, come to believe and know, excuse me, come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them in verse 70, did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is the devil. 
He was talking, obviously, about Judas Iscariot. So these disciples right here, Peter is telling them, we've made a profession of faith in you. We have made a profession of faith in you because you have called us. So here, Jesus is expressing his choosing for them, and his purpose is that they would go and bring forth fruit, and fruit that remains. So the text, remember, when you study the scripture, it's always context, context, context. You, have, you can't just pull it out of there and run with it, although a lot of people do. I've probably done that from time to time myself. But you've got to be extremely careful teaching God's word. It's context, context, context. So he's talking about service, not salvation. As I was studying these words, as I was looking at this, it came to me. It's interesting that when Jesus chose these men, and in Acts 2, when they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they go out, and what does it say that they do? Turn the world upside down. They turn the world upside down. Think about this. Think about this. Now, you've been through the Gospels long enough to know the, the characteristics of these guys. If you were going to have an organization, if you were going to have an organization that did what these guys were supposed to do, would you choose them? Would you choose these guys? Would they be the ones that you picked to run your organization? Greg Laurie, whom I absolutely love, wrote a book, and he called, it's called The Upside Down Church. And in that, he poses that same question. Would you choose these guys? And then he says this. Let me read for a minute. He says, and I've used this before. This is a little ditty that I absolutely love. He says, imagine if Jesus had submitted the resumes of the 12 to a modern management group. What would the results be? Well, here's the letter that Jesus would receive from the management group if he takes these resumes, if he takes these resumes of the 12 that he's chosen. Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you are considering for management positions in your new organization. All of them have taken our battery of tests, the results of which have been run through our sophisticated computer analysis. We have also personally interviewed each candidate and had a psychologist and a vocational consultant speak with each of them. It is our staff's unanimous opinion that most of the nominees are lacking qualifications for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. We recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. By the way, we find that Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of anger. He seems far too impulsive to be in a position of oversight. His brother Andrew has absolutely no qualities for leadership. The brothers James and John, they place personal interest above loyalty. They seem to be very impatient with others. Due to their impatience and ambition, they could one day become disgruntled employees. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that could tend to undermine morale. And we feel it is our extreme duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. In closing, only one of the candidates shows great potential. He is a man of ability, resourcefulness, and ambition. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All other profiles are self-explanatory. Sincerely yours, the Jordan Management Consultants of Jerusalem. I made my point. 
okay? We probably wouldn't choose these guys, but Jesus did. He chose each one of them. He chose them by calling their name. And most of the times, which is fascinating to me, all he said was, follow me. And they left parents, they left jobs, they left livelihood, and they got up and they followed him. I find that to be absolutely amazing of these men. And it's interesting here that Jesus says, I chose you. Back in this day, it was culture that when Jewish men wanted to learn, they got to choose their teachers. They would choose those who would teach them. Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. An interesting verse. And then he goes on and look at verse 16b. Let me get back there. He says, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. The word appointed here is translated from the Greek word theomy, which is the word for ordained in the King James Version. The word ordained carries the connotation of someone who is given a holy order. Someone who is, has a calling from God, and that calling is now recognized. He, that person becomes ordained to do the work that God has called him to do. To follow the path that God has chosen for him to follow. Ordination means more to us now than it did back then, except that Jesus is saying, hey, I've appointed you, I've ordained you, I've called you, I've chosen you to come and do this. I've chosen you for one reason, one reason, to bear fruit. And that's what it says right there. I've appointed you and chose you to bear fruit. This was the purpose of Jesus' calling them. He had a plan, he knew the big picture, he knew what was going to happen. So he was calling them, what a special privilege. What a special privilege that these men had that were called by Jesus for a specific purpose. You've been called by Christ. You've all been called by Christ to be his disciples. And you've all been called with a specific purpose that he had in mind. And the purpose hasn't changed he wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to bear fruit. Fruit that remains. And what Jesus does is, he goes a little bit further now in 16c. He returns to a privilege that has already been spoken of, and he repeats his statements regarding prayer. And when I thought about this, this might be one of, if not the greatest privileges that we have. It's called prayer. Look what he says as we finish 16. He says, let me read the whole verse. I, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Here's something different about that phrase that we've heard before. And it's very interesting because I love to read various commentators after I sat before these scriptures for a while. And one commentator said this, and it brought to mind something that we're going to go to in a minute. He said this, quote, This chapter, speaking of chapter 15, began in a vineyard. And it ended in the throne room. Because now Jesus is talking about 
prayer. Jesus is talking about prayer, the privilege we have of prayer. The writer of Hebrews, whom I believe is the Apostle Paul, the writer of Hebrews picks up on this concept, speaking about our compassionate high priest, speaking about Jesus Christ in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read 14 through 16. Paul, or the writer, says this, seeing that we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens, and he says, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, our belief in him. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we were yet without sin. Let us therefore, because we have a high priest, because he can sympathize with us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Wow. I don't know about you, but to me, that describes an incredible privilege. We have been invited into the throne room of God. Think about this. Now, come on, this is no small thing. Think about this. The creator of the universe, God Almighty, the omnipotent one, the omnipresent one, has invited us into his throne room that we might petition him in our time of need for help. Let that mess around in your brain. Why? Because we have a high priest who is also omnipotent, but he's also compassionate. So we can come boldly to the throne. And this is the discouraging us from the strategy of Satan. Satan says, you got to go through somebody else. Satan says, you got to go through somebody like maybe Mary, or you got to go through somebody else or somebody here. The writer here is saying, no, you can come boldly into the throne of grace yourself. Sometimes the devil wants us to think of Jesus as being powerless to help us, but that's not so. Satan wants us to think that he doesn't sit on the throne of God. He does sit on the throne of God. He sits on the right hand of God the Father. That's what it says in Scripture. And as we come before the throne, we don't come proudly. We don't come with an arrogance like, I deserve to be here. We come crawling on our hands and knees, heads bowed down. We don't come. But he says, don't come with presumption, but come constantly. Come without reservation. Come freely. And you don't have to use fancy words. Lord, help me. But come. But come with confidence. And come with persistence. Come in. When we come to the throne of God, it's called a throne of grace. When we come that we may obtain mercy. This is not getting what we deserve, that we can find grace. It's getting what we don't deserve. In our time of need, we come, we find grace in a time of need. Thankfully, God provides help. No request is too small, because he wants us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, with thanksgiving, let our request be made known to God. That's what he wants from us. You are assured. We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.